0: Here in this space, we're going to be digging into God's Word uh, through Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. If you have your Bibles, I do invite you to turn with me there. We're going to be in Acts uh, 9 primarily, but we're also going to be looking at the end of Acts 7 and the opening of Acts chapter 8 uh, as a backdrop for what God is uh, bringing to us in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. Uh, Together we uh, hear the word from the Lord. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell on the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, he asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias! "'Yes, Lord,' he answered. "'And the Lord told him, "'Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street "'and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, "'for he is praying. "'And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias "'come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. "'Lord,' Ananias answered, "'I've heard many reports about this man "'and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem.' And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house Regained his strength. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing, and so we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious and loving God, I ask that you would move powerfully in our midst by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, open our eyes that we would see. Open our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we come to know and understand your word. Open our hearts that we would feel its power. Then I ask, oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this together as your people in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a convicting passage of scripture that kind of ah, haunted might be a strong word, but always set in the back of my mind as as a Christian uh, where where I felt like I was coming up short. It's a passage of scripture at the end of the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is talking about judgment day and what it looks like for him to to place judgment upon the sheep and the goats. And one of the identifying markers, he says, is, is you do these things to the least of these you do them to me he names it he says uh you clothed me you you gave me something to eat whenever I was in prison you visited me and and I was like wow prison um, you know prison it, it wasn't a place I had wanted to visit I had tried to avoid prison <laughs> as we tend to do uh and, and and it was also it was intimidating, like the idea of going into prison willingly. Like you go through the background checks, you got to get through all of all of the clearances. There, there's these fences and these gates and these guards and these guns and there's all this stuff, right? And there's and 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 so I was I was not for going to prison until there was an opportunity presented to me, and the Lord like did a work in me and I said yes this is the time so I went and I was I was I was struck because uh the, the experience of of Christian fellowship in prison ministry was very similar to what I experienced in the church. Okay, it was, uh, we we went in, uh, we we worshipped. There was a band. Everybody was was praising the Lord. And during that time, there was a movement of the Holy Spirit. I could sense that there was a unity in in, in the spirit of me with them and them with me. And 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 there were way more of <laughs> them than there were of, of me. And and I could just I could just sense there was something. Profound going on here. Then they broke up into small groups. They were like accountability cells, like 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 uh, covenant bands, where where they meet together and they like rebuke one another and and confess to one another and hold one another accountable. And so like there's this this beauty that's going on. I'm like, man, this is like the church. Like this is church. You know, I'm in prison, but I'm in church. And during that conversation, there was there was one guy in particular that. Uh, that, that I could tell had maybe a mentoring role. Maybe he had been given or delegated some sort of, uh, of leadership or authority in, in, the, in the covenant group that, that I was invited to be a part of. Like they welcomed me in. And then afterwards, uh, there's a lot of fellowshipping going on. And John, that was his name, John and I we just sat back and talked for a while, and, and, and I'm hearing his story. I'm hearing, uh, he, he, it's not long until he's released. He's, uh, he was up for parole, and, and uh, it was uh, good behavior going to take place. And, and through that process, he shared with me, he said, Pastor Jason, listen, this sounds crazy, but the Lord is raising up an army of evangelists in prison. And you know I, I had gone there to do the thing, and he was telling me that he's about to get out and come here to do the thing and and, and I was like I was like man I, I, what, I was unnecessary in, in this space I, I was I was an afterthought i was i was uh, I was there to receive and to experience what the Lord was doing there and I'll never forget that the passage that was proclaimed that day was Acts chapter 9. And and, and the the testimony of the day that, that weighed so powerfully in that space was that the Lord does not look at your past sin to determine your future. Your past sin cannot, does not have future disqualification. And it doesn't matter if you've been to prison or not. This is a a falsehood, a lie from Satan that is whispered in our ear constantly. That there's something in your past, there's some sin that has been committed that disqualifies you and me from usefulness in the kingdom of God. And they point to this text and they're reminded that God has always been about the work of redeeming for a purpose. God has not redeemed us so that we can sit idly by. God has redeemed us so that we could be sent on mission in the world. God does not allow your or my past sin to disqualify our future. For us to really kind of lean in to, to the power of that in, in Acts chapter 9, we, we have to get a little bit of the backstory, A little bit of what's built up here for us in the story of Saul and how it's, it's kind of been brought uh, to being in Acts 9. You see, in Acts chapter 7, there's, uh, there's a testimony to, uh, to a disciple of Jesus named Stephen. Okay, and Stephen is testified in Scripture as performing signs and wonders, miracles uh, that that are are leading to the conversion of many people in Jerusalem. People are are hearing his testimony, are hearing his teaching, uh, and are seeing the signs and wonders and are just blown away and say, this is truth. And they're wanting to, to, to follow Jesus in that way. And so Stephen is... Is causing a commotion, a, 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 a ruckus, particularly amongst the Jewish leadership. They're like, "All right, so we got to squash this," and they're a little frustrated, right? They already crucified Jesus, and after we crucified Jesus, this thing is supposed to go away. But now it's just like building steam, and so they're in their frustration, they drag uh, Stephen in for inquisition, much like they did with Jesus. And so here, Stephen is is uh, on trial before the Jewish leadership. And uh, and in response to the trial, Stephen does not cower. He does not denounce his faith. He doesn't reject Jesus. No, he gives a magnificent sermon. <laughs> like, like, Acts chapter 7 is this sermon where he points to the Old Testament and the and the witness that the Messiah is to come and then he points to Jesus and testifies on how all that they have been waiting for is fulfilled in Jesus. It's, it's glorious. Well, just like most really, really powerful sermons, it was not well received. <laughs> like, the people rejected the message entirely. They wanted nothing to do with it because the power of Jesus would cause them to relinquish their own power and they wanted nothing of it. And so they decided that they had to stone Stephen just as they had crucified Jesus to end this witness. And so they raise up against Stephen, and Stephen is given a vision from the Lord. It's a vision of heaven. The doors of heaven open, and there is the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, seated at his right hand, and he testifies to that. And as soon as he testifies to that, boom, it's over, and they start stoning him. And in the midst of the stoning, as he is dying, as he is being stoned, there in that space, he cries out in two ways. Beginning in verse 59 of chapter 7, and then it's going to follow along. The words will be on the screen. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, do not hold this sin against them, Lord. And when he said this, he fell asleep. He died. And Saul approved of their killing. Paul's right there. Saul approved of their, their killing. Saul, Saul was right there. And it even testifies right before what I read in 59 and 58. It says that the people that, are, that, that were there uh, stoning him laid their cloaks before Saul's feet as a sign of honor of Saul as he was being the, the, the judge, jury, and executioner over Stephen's martyrdom. So Saul is standing right there and he approved of, their, of his killing. Then on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned him deeply. But it says in verse 3, Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. You see that backdrop before we can even get to to this Damascus Road experience of Saul where we have eyes blinded and then scales falling before we could even hear of what it is for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit and be baptized. We have to know where he came from and, and fully wrestle with what evil Saul perpetrated against God's people. He was a murderer. It it even in the opening of of chapter 9 says that he was breathing murderous threats against the people of God. Breathing them. Like his, his life's breath was murder. Before we... Move on to chapter 9. I want, I want you to, to pause for just a minute and, and hear just a, a brief devotional aside that, that, that ties. But maybe this is something that, that the Lord has for someone here. It's what C- Stephen says as he's being stoned. I want to be sure that we didn't miss that. As Stephen is being stoned, there is a direct echo carrying forward the witness of Christ on the cross. Okay? Caring for the witness of Christ on the cross. First of all, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Just as Jesus says, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. And then Stephen, maybe remembering the Lord's prayer, forgive them their trespasses, or maybe remembering Jesus' witness on the cross as he looked out on all those, those that, those that had beaten him, that had whipped him, that, that, that had put a crown of thorns on his head, that had nailed him to the cross, that forced him uh, to drag the cross all the way to Calvary. Uh, whatever it, it was that was in Jesus' mind of the pain that had been inflicted upon him, he looked out upon the crowd and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And Stephen looks out on those that are stoning him, including, including Saul, who is gaining approval amongst the people for the stoning. And Stephen says, Lord, Lord, forgive them. Do not hold this sin against them. One more. Whenever all has been concluded and Jesus breathes his last and the curtain is torn in two and the earth shakes at his death. There is a Roman soldier, a centurion, who is standing there at the cross bearing witness to what has taken place and he says, surely this man was the Son of God. The one who inflicted that death upon Jesus says, surely this man was the son of God. Maybe there's yet still one who was bearing witness to Stephen's stoning that could also be used in conversion. It doesn't happen there, but it happens in Acts chapter nine. In Acts chapter nine, where Saul is... Is breathing out murderous threats to, to any there who belonged to the way, who belonged. To the way. This isn't a uh, very common language for us as Christians today. We talk about belonging to the church or being the bride of Christ or being the body of Christ or the community of faith or a congregation. Uh, but but the, even the term Christian had not yet been coined here in Acts chapter 9. The term Christian was actually coined in Antioch uh, a few chapters later in Acts. So what does it mean to belong to the way? It, this is who Saul is hunting, those who belong to the way. Now, I see smirks on some of your faces because I know where you're going because I felt it too, right? This is the Mandalorian. This is the way, right? You've seen the t-shirts. Uh, how, do you, how do you watch the Mandalorian? I, I like to wait till the end of the season and then binge the whole thing, all right? Why, why the weekly deal? Like, that's so, that's so old, Right? We used to do that as kids. Why? We don't have to do that anymore. So anyway. So I mean the Mandalorian. But, but, but get this. This is the way in the Mandalorian. I, I want to testify to the fact that one of the writers of the Mandalorian had to, had to have some Christian influence or be a Christian themselves. themselves because the, the, the premise is so founded in Christian teaching. So the Mandalore. Are those that have been found who have been raised in the way. And when they find another, that foundling belongs to them. And they are accountable to their safety until they also belong to the way. Does, right? You, yeah, you hadn't gotten that before. I blew your mind. All of y'all are like, I didn't see that. Well, th- this is the way. The way of, of, of Christ And across the Gospels, we we have that term, the way, used in a couple of different uh, methods. The the first is uh, the way of righteousness, that you would walk in the way of righteousness and that you would uh, seek out holiness in your life. There's also another reference, the way of God, used multiple times in the Gospels, the way of of God, but now we have something new and unique taking place in Acts. And it's not just in chapter nine, it's actually six more times over the book of Acts. It refers to the way as this, this, this clear uh, entity, this, 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 this institution, this, uh, this direction that we are to know of. What is the way? Well, if we want to really dive into what the way is, we, we would look at Jesus' own words in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, uh, chapter 14, verses 4 and following, it'll be on the screen. This is Jesus speaking. He says to his disciples, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And they're all like, uh, enlighten us, please. Thomas says to them, uh, Lord, Lord, we don't know where you're going, So how can we know the way? Then Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am literally the way. Me, Jesus. And so whenever whenever Paul is hunting down people who belong to the way he is looking for people who who have offered their lives to jesus who've submitted and 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 proven themselves as obedient to christ he's not just saying i'm going to go find the way he's saying i'm going to go find those who belong to the way and those are the ones that are the threat those who belong to the way so we have Saul breathing murderous threats against people who belong to the way, who belong to Christ, Jesus the Lord. And, and, and here we, we have this, this moment where he's walking on the road to Damascus. He's there with, with, a, with a cohort of, of folks. We don't know how many. We don't know who they are. We just know that, that he's not alone. He has guards or enforcers or someone there with them. and all of a sudden a voice comes and he is like buckled to his knees a light shines before him and there in that moment we hear uh we hear the word of Jesus come to him and says Saul Saul why do you persecute me and and there he says who are you and 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 Jesus says it's me Jesus you're persecuting me, and from that position and place, Jesus directs them. He says, you're going to be blind, and you're going to, go to, uh, you're going to go stay at a house in Damascus. It's going to be on Straight Street, and there things will take place that will reveal the way to you. Zach and I were, were preparing for this message, and, and he, uh, he, he came up with a, a title for the sermon. I thought it was... Uh, it was Intriguing, The Murderer on Straight Street, right? Like I feel like that could be a movie, The Murderer on Straight Street. Uh, And so here we have God preparing to use Saul by pointing him to the way. The way is Jesus. But there is a distinct... uh, Difference that is seen between the way that uh, Saul responds to the call and the way that Ananias responds to the call that reveals to us what this way looks like, how we can be connected to, belong to the way. It's it's through Ananias's reverent obedience. Ananias is reverent in his obedience. Now, oftentimes we think of reverence, and we think reverence is is is, is just an internal feeling, like uh, like like its wonder, its awe, its its respect. But but it once it takes root as respect or honor or revere, then there is something that connects to uh, a response. There's an action that inherently follows. If you truly respect, revere someone, then you would. Submit to them, honor them with, uh, with, with your follow through and and that's reflected in what Ananias says in response. We have over the course of scripture many different references to where God calls someone by name and, and then they have they have, uh, they have uh, a, a a typical response that can be modeled for someone that is connected. To the way we have it with Abraham, we have it with Moses, we have it with uh, with Samuel, we have it uh, with Ananias here what is it whenever your name is called? how are you to respond it 's not how Saul responded first how Saul responded Saul responded, uh, Saul Saul, why do you persecute me? who are you there's not a relationship there's not a connection there's not a knowledge of who Jesus is of who God is in Jesus. And so there is a disconnection. There's a lack of reverence for the one that is calling. But then what, what do we hear from, from Abraham? Abraham in, uh, in Genesis chapter 22 Uh, We see Abraham has been developing a relationship with God over a number of years. He's been blessed with a son, and and then God is going to test him. And in this test, it opens with a call. Uh, God calls forth to Abraham and says, Abraham, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, Abraham, and his response is, here I am, here I am. Now, for some of you, you you are connected to the Methodist church over a number of years, and and that phrase has some power because there's a really awesome hymn of the church that that is sung, here I am, Lord, it is I, Lord, I've heard you calling in the night, right? And so we have this like, like kind of connection to here I am, but... I I don't mean to like thwart that or undercut it, but I mean to maybe enhance it a little bit and say like, like there's more there, there. Whenever Abraham says, here I am, the, the Hebrew is actually better translated as behold me or you behold me, all of me. Nothing is withheld from you, from your knowledge, from your, from your sight. You, you, you know my past, you know my present, you know my future, you know my capacities, you know my failings, you know all of me, you know all of it, all of it, all of it. All of it. You know me, behold me, I am here, an open book, responding to your call. Here I am. And we hear that again from Moses in Exodus chapter three, verse four, <clears throat> this is when Moses uh, sees the burning bush and he goes and looks at the burning bush and, and it's burning, but it's not consumed and this is this crazy thing and he, and he walks over to the burning bush and there God calls from the bush and says, Moses, Moses. And his response is, behold me. You behold me, all of me. You, you know me. What do you want to do with me? I am yours. Here I am. Now, in both instances, with Abraham and with Moses, God tells them to do something that neither one of them like much. The first, uh, Abraham is told to sacrifice his son, and he just has to trust that the Lord will provide. He even testifies to his son that the Lord will provide," and God does provide. But it was an act of faithfulness. There, for Moses, for Moses, he's told that you're going to go and you're going to testify to Pharaoh and you're going to lead my people out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery. And and God, God's like, you're going to do this. And Moses is like, I'm not capable. You know, you. You know I'm not capable. I can't speak. I don't have authority. They're not going to know I'm from you. And he has all these excuses. So there's some negotiation that takes place there. But in the end, in the end, God knows both Abraham and Moses, all of them, and sends them for a purpose. On mission, for a purpose. And from the very beginning, their connection to God was revealed In their response to their name being called, Ananias. So we talked about Saul. Saul said, I don't know you. You know, Saul, Saul. And he says, Who are you? Not, 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 behold me, like, not, not, you know me, not, I know you, not, now we are in relationship. No, who are you? And then we have Ananias. We have, we have Ananias's response. Uh, And it comes in verse 10 and following. The Lord called uh, to him in a vision, Ananias. And then it says, yes, Lord, he answered. Now, the NIV, I love it. Not helpful here. Uh, The NRSV says, here I am, which is much better. But the actual Greek word, you're going to be shocked. The Greek word there. Where the NIV says, Yes, Lord, is behold me, Lord. He is tied so deeply to God that when God calls his name, he says, Yes. I offer myself whatever it is, like, It's not much. I'm not much. But you know that. Behold, reverent obedience from Ananias. And then God says, look, I got a plan for you. You're going to go see this dude that wants to kill you. And and like, this is going to be great. It's all going to turn out awesome. And he's like, huh? Like, seriously? This is your plan. You're going to send me to the guy that came here to kill me. And and everybody knew it. Like, think think about how like, like, like the word on the street spreads in, in a culture that, that is all like oral, right? And so Saul comes in with his guards, led by hand, been sitting up in a room for three days, and, and now Ananias knows that, that he's being sent by God there. God's response is simple. When Ananias makes an excuse, go. And that was it. He does give testimony to how he's going to use saw as his instrument. But, but he says, go. You know me. I know you. Go. Go. And so he's sent to, to, to Straight Street. I love that. I love that, that, that God straightens things out there. What, what happens on Straight Street? Well, first, to, to be sure we, we don't miss Paul, Saul's, excuse me, he, his name has not been changed to Paul yet, Saul's posture there. You know, he cannot see, he's been blinded, he's been led there, and then there are a couple of characteristics that we have about what he's doing, three things in particular. So uh, he's there for three days, before transformation takes place, before he's given a new life. Three days. Jesus, right, right, yeah, okay, okay. So, second, he does not eat or drink anything. It doesn't say he can't eat or drink anything. It doesn't say that he's blind and he also has no faculty of his mouth he is fasting intentionally. He has been called by name by someone he did not know. And now he wants to to grasp how he can understand what a relationship would look like there, right? And so he is fasting. Uh, He is fasting so that he could deepen his connection, know the one who calls him. Then God testifies to Ananias about Saul's posture there. It says, go and see this guy from Tarsus. His name is Saul. And in verse 11, it says, for he is praying and he's been seeing a vision of you, Ananias, coming to open your eyes. He's fasting. He's praying. He's receiving a vision from the Lord. All of this drawing him in connection To the one who is calling him, so that, so that when Ananias goes to his house, Ananias places his hands on Saul and he says, "Brother, the one who has come to murder me, brother." The Lord Jesus who called you has sent me to open your eyes to the way. And instantly scales fell from his eyes and he knew that he belonged to the way. And he submitted His life in a spirit of reverence to the Lord Jesus. Brothers and sisters, you and I have been called by God, by name. And maybe today you're being called by God, by name. And you will continue to be called by God, by name. And and when that happens, something something inside you acknowledges that, that you have been called to something that is not of your mind's own conceiving, something that's not of your heart's own leading, something that is external and yet internal. It's the Holy Spirit, God in you, calling you by name to lead you forth into the world on mission. Sometimes it's to do something extraordinary that you're gonna argue with God over multiple times like Moses did and sometimes it's to call you to do something simple but you're still going to question whether or not you're capable of it and yet God is calling you and me over and over again out into the world to be his witnesses not to witness to something that, that you don't know of but to witness to that which you know you know the way you know the one Jesus and so I, I ask you, invite you to, to, to prepare for that call, to prepare with fasting, to prepare with prayer, to prepare by, by, by opening your eyes to see a vision of what God has for you and for the world around you. And when we prepare our hearts, he'll call. And we could say, behold. Here I am. All of me. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we come before you thankful, thankful that you're a God that uses us. You you, You don't do a work in us to leave us on the sidelines, but you invite us into the game. And so, Lord, we come into the world prepared to respond to whatever it is you call us to do. Lord, move in fresh and new ways in us so that we would be on mission in the world. Lord, use us to build a community connecting in Christ. And I don't just mean a congregation connecting in Christ. I mean a community connecting in Christ. Lord, that is one of the missions you've set us on. There are many others. And so I ask whatever it is you're calling on this, your people to do, that you would whisper, speak, cry out, yell into our hearts. so that we would go into the world as your hands and feet. Lord, we belong to you. We belong to the way. So we submit our lives before you in the name of Jesus Christ.